everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. I am not Ryan Parrish. I am Lee Price. But I am joined by Keith Bloomfield. Hello, I am also not Ryan Parrish. And Matt Lovell. Hello, both not Ryan Parrish's. On the show today, we will be discussing... Uh, cast reunion stuff that we've been seeing going around and just throwing out some personal recommendations for you all. But first, how are we all today? Uh, Matt, what have you been up to? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I'm just a bit shocked that two weeks have just shot by. (laughs) I don't really know what I've done. Um, I've mostly been um, playing Dota 2 because the summer events dropped, which is like a four-person dungeon crawler game with lots of sparkly hats and things so that's mostly my time uh, hats the most important thing to any uh, multiplayer game and it's a valve game so you know they're very sparkly hats <laughs> i forgot it was valve <laughs> was it was there any sort of controversy like there was with team fortress because i remember it's, i remember people kicking off around team fortress over those hats i can't remember the specifics of it but i know it was it was it was a thing. Not necessarily controversy, but things like uh, it's incredibly difficult. And then the minute Reddit posts the winning formula, Valve kind of patch it. So it's not the winning formula. So then you hate you back to square one again. <laughs> yes, that's, that sounds about right. Just usual internet drama around multiplayer games. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how, how have you been finding this event? Um, I I mean, I always love these events. I think it could have dropped a bit sooner than it did, especially without the internationals. So normally the international takes up a lot of their release schedule and it would have given people a bit more time to sort of play it. But overall, I think it's really good. And also the best thing is you don't have to have a compendium, which is the paid part of the season to access it so anyone can play it which is just you know fantastic but it's nice it's really good at expanding sort of like the lore of the actual game and giving you something a little bit different from the usual dota formula have been up to anything else outside of dota other than that not a lot just watching loads of random youtube videos and i think the only other thing is I watched Unfriended the Dark Web, which is a horror film and kind of start of like a new genre, which is called like screen life, where basically the whole film is told through a computer screen. And um, like its previous film, uh, Unfriended, it was good. I liked how they actually pulled it all off. But um, this one was a bit more about the proper internet hackers on steroids, 4chan style, invading your, your laptop. So some of it was a little bit far-fetched, but others it was okay. I, I kind of got that they had to explain internet things to people who aren't savvy with that kind of thing. How well done was was the internet explaining, or was it just characters talking out loud about like, oh, this is how a router works? <laughs> Some of it was quite good. Like, um, they did quite a good explanation of how you access sort of like the... The, the deep web and um, the way some of the sort of characters get killed are quite prevalent to things like, you know, swatting, where people would basically call in uh, swat teams on, on people they don't like, that kind of thing. Um, but there's 
there was a ridiculous element where they started invading these people's houses and they could distort the webcams and that kind of thing so their image was like blurred out and pixelated and you're just a bit like yeah that's that's not really what happens <laughs> and they hacked everything way too fast but you know it was it was still quite interesting quite an interesting premise i'd like to see like more more in this kind of genre i feel like i've seen like a lot of youtube-based horror that's already done a lot of that anyway just you know, all the creepypasta stuff that's out there there's that sort of concept i think it's it feels like it's bouncing off the back of a lot of that stuff yeah absolutely so i'm a massive sort of fan of all the youtube like random youtube short horrors and same with um, the found footage genre like loads of old horror films like marble hornets and um mm-hmm. mama like started as short films on uh youtube and then became sort of bigger wider hollywood releases yeah it's just quite interesting what people can do when they really sort of put their mind to it especially on these youtube videos where there's like low, no budget whatsoever or very little expertise yeah because like some of the stuff that i've seen out there i'm just like how the hell did you do all of this when you're just like a student with a webcam but you've got all these weird effects and stuff and it's like how did you do that because i remember back in the day being like really impressed with um tribe 12 which was another one of the sort of slender man based series and just the editing that he would put into it some of the effects and it's just like you're a you're a university student where did you get all of this from <laughs> Absolutely. And I think as well, like, so horror is always quite a difficult genre to pull off. I think especially like um, big film horror is quite hard to pull off. And yet um, sometimes when they use just the basics, when they go back to basics, that's where the true horror comes out. Um, so one of the, uh, the big... Uh, sort of like my favourite sort of horror troops to watch is Bloody Cuts, and they do various different films um, from supernatural to like thriller on YouTube. They're all about five, ten minutes long max, and again, very limited budget. Some of it is quite sort of like dark and slapstick as well, but they still nail the horror element quite subtly and in just space of, of short time, which some bigger films like The Conjuring don't really do it for me. Yeah, it's definitely a problem I've noticed with a lot of big budget horror stuff is I think they kind of they're using the budget too much. They're like, we have this budget, we're going to show all this gory stuff, and it's like, that's not where the scary stuff comes from. It's the fact that you've got a dark corridor and you can't see anything down it, which d- costs you nothing to film. Absolutely, and I think um, I think length has something to do with it as well. So I think, uh, same as short horror stories, that kind of thing, I think the less you could show, the the kind of better it is sometimes because it just leaves you wanting more and not really explaining a lot. Whereas you get a lot of horror films where they drag it out and explain away absolutely everything to death to the point where you're just not really that interested anymore. I think the good thing about something like Unfriended as well is it brings horror back into something that everybody can relate to because everybody is used to being in front of a screen and responding to those things and having things like pop-ups and all the rest of it and that sense of of you you're not in control when you when you hear people talking about malware and keyboard loggers and all the rest of it people can think god this could actually happen and i think that's horror horror comes into its own when you can imagine that could actually happen even though when when you even when you introduce the supernatural elements and stuff sometimes you can still think mm, maybe that could that could happen and that when you can put yourself in the place of the characters it makes it twice as scary because you think 
right? And that's that's when you go home and turn all the lights on afterwards. And you think, yeah, I'm I'm just gonna do that, and I'm kind of gonna run all the malware software on my computer to make sure I'm not being um, possessed by some keyboard demon. But I think we in Graphic Novel Club a couple of weeks ago we read we read a book that was based on the devil taking over people through internet browsers that looked like they were from the 1990s, which is quite cool as well. Absolutely, and that's exactly why. I quite enjoyed the sequel. So the first Unfriended is more supernatural. It's still through technology. It's um, a, a spirit like getting revenge on a group of uh, school kids. But the second one is it's not supernatural. It's purely grounded in people on the dark web interfering with normal people. And it's exactly that. Because as you're watching it, even though some of it is a bit fanciful to help the plot along, you are sitting there going how safe are my passwords <laughs> just <laughs> and then just like think about all the times you use your phone and that kind of thing people can access your webcam and all sorts and it's it's that kind of real horror that i think really does lend itself to that kind of genre so yeah you're absolutely right i think with that as well like you know sort of what you're saying is accepting the, the reason you kind of believe in that supernatural stuff is because they've tapped into like the real fears and because you're already kind of in that sort of state of mind at that point, it's like, yeah, maybe that could happen as well. And it's because it's you've already gone down that path. It's like it's adding to that paranoia and to the point where you're like, yeah, maybe ghosts could be real. You know, I don't know. All this stuff's real. So maybe that is now. <laughs> yeah, I just um, I'd be interested to watch it with someone who is actually like quite good at coding and that kind of thing, just to see mm. how accurate it was because a lot of the time you'll see people like running lines of code or that kind of thing in notepad and one like several points they're running code in skype and you're just wondering does that actually work i don't know if it works i, I just i'm just imagining watching it with someone who's an expert in code and they're just going no it's <laughs> for the whole movie <laughs> no back to the 90s uh idea of <laughs> Hacking computer systems. <laughs> you know, just if you if you just hit the keyboard at random and go and just say I'm in, then that's that's how you hack, right? That's... It just takes me back to watching Swordfish with Hugh Jackman, which was like one of the worst hacker um, films I'd ever seen. It was just such nonsense. I've only ever heard bad things about that movie. Yeah, it's 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 not a great movie. It's renowned for all the wrong things. But yeah, I would say give it a watch. Watch the first one, watch the second one, and it's it's fun while it lasts. Cool. Uh, what about you, Keith? What have you been up to? Again, don't know where two weeks has gone. I know it's a combination of, t- it's double seven days, so it's like 14 days, but I have no idea where they go. I need to check it off on the wall, like I'm in kind of the Shawshank Redemption, so I can see it all. Mostly I've just been kind of catching up with old 2080s. I've been reading a couple of, some of the newer books or progs as they are called, and kind of thought, oh, I kind of fancy revisiting some of the older stuff, still if, that, if those stories still hold up. So I'm kind of I'm reading through at the moment. I just, just finished reading Dreads America, which is great because that was about the democracy trying to re-establish itself in the slightly dictatorship that the judges run in Mega City 1, which is really kind of interesting because you think that was, that was around a long time ago. It still has a lot to say in the current climate. And then I've gone further back to some of the kind of the block mania and apocalypse war stuff which is kind of epic tales told over like, you know, 26 episodes. But in that in that particular case files as well, they also had the judge, the second judge death story. 
which was quite fleeting. I think it was only five issues that it, that was all over, and you just think what an impact that character has. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool. The, the Judge Dredd stuff actually still holds up quite well. I mean, one of the things that John Wagner and Alan Grant had done with it, with that character was to establish a world that can still telling incredibly good stories now as it did back then it's it, you know it's slightly sad that you think the world hasn't changed that much that this kind of sense uh, and particularly with some of the news footage that i've been seeing recently and you think my goodness that is so close to you know the comic strip images of judges marching down streets with their nightsticks out and all the rest of it you think this is kind of crazy but yeah it's kind of it's kind of good to revisit those and realize that they're not they still hold up unlike some of the kind of american comics from around the similar period which sometimes kind of are a little bit less entertaining now than they were at the time but um yeah it's just it's quite, just quite nice just to see that beautiful black and white art i do have a thing for kind of like black and white comics um so it's really good as someone who's not sort of massively familiar with sort of comic history like what sort of era was this sort of time frame just out of curiosity end of the 70s so kind of 1978 79 kind of around that period possibly just kind of heading into the 80s which is kind of quite cool you know and and also as well when you think it was like a kid's comic and i think part of the reason why that that 2008 made such a big impact on me when i was nine i think was it just went there's no way if my parents knew what was in this they'd let me read it you know, it's it's what disappoints me a little bit about the modern progs that they're often kind of written for adults in a way that kind of drags out sometimes, and you kind of go, "That was a bit unsatisfactory because it didn't really do anything." Whereas the the older comics, I just think, you know, it's two three issues, and they they've told you a really gripping story, and you kind of go, "This is pretty," you know pretty pretty good it's a little bit like kind of modern television as well sometimes modern television just kind of drags out a little bit too long and you think you could you could have told that story a little bit more condensed but then it reminds me of kind of old comics book stories as well things like x-men's days of future past is a story that people talk about now still and then that was two issues and yet now it would it could take six seven eight ten issues to tell you that story so i think the impact of it is still pretty important now uh, and the dread story they're telling in the current progs at the moment is a little bit like that it's kind of short hits but it's it's pretty good there's a good there's a couple of good strips in the prog at the moment that i'm quite enjoying yeah because I've, I've sort of seen a lot of the way that a lot of comics kind of do sort of stretch out a little bit too much and i think it's something that's kind of always put me off reading a lot of comics is just hearing about like oh yeah this this issue this story travels across this many issues and it's like uh Okay, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll sit this out. Thanks. Yeah, some some of the more independent books kind of get written in a in a in a way that's like we we six issues and that's it. We that's that story told. Yeah. The kind of ongoing stuff is a little bit more impenetrable, I think, for new readers, particularly mm-hmm. stuff like Batman or, to a certain extent, Superman and Spider Man. I think the big the big titles are a little bit harder, but I think when the when the kind of smaller characters that i kind of tend to gravitate towards they, they only get short runs anyway really which is quite nice do you think there's much of a difference between sort of american comic book writing compared to like british comic book writing or anything different so for example let's say with british tv versus american tv you tend to find the british tv is shorter and will only run for like a limited number of seasons like one or two series when actually in america it will go for as long as it's successful so do you think and not just with with those two comparisons but i mean 
other um, sort of, is it a depending on the country of origin or do you think it's depending on sort of the character and the subtext matter of the comic that defines the length? I think it's the sensibility of the nationality of the of the, of the, of the writer more so than the artists. I think it's it, the artist's um, voice uh, works a bit more globally but I think seeing people like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore move from the kind of weekly comic stuff a bit of monthly stuff when they were writing for things like Warrior and stuff, moving to the longer form pages that they had in American comics, their voice came with them. And so reading like Moore's Swamp Thing or Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol has a very distinct voice to it compared to the American writers that perhaps have wrote wrote before and after. Uh, and I think there's a, there's a definite thing. It's, it's a little bit with the, the same kind of thing with Australian stuff as well i find this the australian sensibility and sense of humor is more akin to british than it is for the Americans. so one of the great things about stuff like netflix is you can watch shows from australia and then you see the kind of like the comparable american ones which just seems a little either a little bit more crass or a little bit more glossy whereas the kind of australian ones are a little bit more it's a bit shabby and a bit kind of you know more heartfelt i think <laughs> so i think yeah there, there's definitely a difference between American writers and, and British writers. And I, and I think that's possibly the way that they grew up with the, the media that, that that surrounded them. You know, that American writers would be would have been used to seeing lots of films, lots of TV, whereas in Britain we kind of a little bit more didn't really start that mass media consumption until probably until Sky really arrived in the UK. Yeah, because I've, I've definitely noticed, like, especially with the TV, there definitely seems to be more of a kind of cynicism in a lot of British writing versus American writing. American writing tends to be a lot more positive than British writing, <laughs> is what I've noticed quite a lot. I don't know if that's true in comics, but it definitely seems to be true in TV. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say that's, that's quite true, that, that sense. Yeah, British writers tend to put the characters through the ringer a little bit more as well. Yeah, I mean, you sort of look at a lot of, like, if you look at a lot of comedy, in American comedy, everyone kind of ends up being friends at the end of a, end of an episode. In British comedy, everyone just hates each other all the time. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the main difference. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like the, the direct comparison you have between the British office and the American office, because, you know, obviously the two leads in that were kind of totally different characters in terms of mm. what the public yeah. interpretation of them was. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Uh, yeah, perhaps perhaps we're just a li- we're just a little bit more kind of jaded as um, <laughs> as people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else, Keith? Anything else you've been up to apart from reading through all your old comics? Um, the only other thing I was doing was just being dragged into Channel Five, showing lots of old movies. So I think over the course of two days, I just went through the Blues Brothers, Labyrinth, Stand By Me, and a couple of others that I just thought, I've got these videos on the shelf that are three feet away, and I'll just like, no, I'll just sit here and watch it with the breaks <laughs> um, and, and stuff. And you're going to go, yeah, these, 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 are good, these are good films. It's the convenience of it, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, the one thing I thought was like, I'm sure the um, version of Stand By Me they shown. They they shoot. I think they sh- they showed it at about two o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm convinced that that one was a TV edit and not the same version that originally I saw. Because I'm sure the first version I saw had a little bit more swearing and 15 certificate behaviour. But then that was 15 certificate behaviour in 1980, whatever it was. So that's probably peanuts now, isn't it? However, 
Um, I watched Step Brothers on Netflix the other day, and Netflix have pulled those shenanigans as well because they've definitely edited out a few bits from that. So, and that was quite surprising because it's not TV; it's Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, it, that kind of thing is a bit surreal with the um, the ratings on stuff like Netflix because they rate individual the, the films is one thing, but then they rate TV episodes individually as well. I think it was. It wasn't Netflix, actually. It was Amazon Prime. I was watching a show called Hunters, which was Al Pacino and the guy that was um, Percy Jackson, I think he was. And some episodes would be 18 and some would be 16. And I'm thinking, either go one or the other. Because what do you do 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 if somebody who's 16 watching it goes, oh, there's an 18 episode now, so you can't watch that one. You've got to skip that episode until it goes back down to 16. Keith, what 16-year-old is going to see an 18 rating and be like, oh, I can't watch this? Well, as as you know, as a as a as a parent with responsibilities for children, you know, I, I see these guidances, and I think I have to make a, a, a call on this. It's like you know, the guidance here is this is an eighteen, and the next episodes are sixteen. That's two years difference. But yeah, I just thought just just either decide one way or the other. It just seemed ridiculous to go. Uh, one episode is going to be a higher rating than the, than the previous one. Just go. There's all of this stuff in it. Which is great. Which is usually what, like, the sign of a good TV show when the announcer on Channel Four goes, "The next show contains lots of violence and swearing," and I'm like, "Brilliant! I'm watching." <laughs> That's all I need to know. Some view, some viewers may be offended. Yep, let's. I mean, I've seen the same thing with like DVD box sets, though, where some sometimes you'll have like one disc has got the 15 on it, and then another disc will have 18 on it. I think the X Files is one of them because like one of the episodes was like particularly gory, so that one box has an 18 on it and all the rest are 15 so it's like okay <laughs> and, and things change all the time I'm, I'm surprised by how many things get downgraded that you know things things when i was a this will age me when things were like a and x certificates and then whatever they're like 15 or 12 whatever is it 12 a and a 15 now and it's like i'm you know i'm sure things like robocop now are like a 15 and the Terminator and stuff. And it's like, I'm sure they were 18 certificates when I first saw them. There was something I remember seeing and like, it was rated a U and I was just like, why is this a U? Like, this is something that feels more like a PG, but I can't remember what it was. But it's definitely something I've seen with that. And I'm like, did you downgrade it from a PG and it's now a U, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, Ryan and his Watership Down. (laughs) (laughs) Suitable for all audiences. Who wish to be traumatized? So the point you made about like uh, parenting. So what I'd have is uh, my mum would let us watch. She'd sit down and watch like loads of horrors, loads of like violent gore, all of that. I would be nine, ten, not a problem at all. But if there's any like even hints of sexual nature, any nudity, turns it off. It's like filth. You're not watching it. Even though the scene before is someone just being disemboweled and having all their like organs and stuff out, and you're just like, okay. Uh, that that reminds me of the difference between American films and European films, especially in the 80s. I was like, everybody could be torn apart and blown up and whatever it is, but any kind of European film where there was a, even the hint of um, something saucy, it'd be like, whoop, nope, X certificate or, or, or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> like you're saying it's it's perfectly fine to see like you know somebody being disemboweled and their head explode and all the rest of it but if you see a, a little bit of shoulder too much shoulder nope a bit of ankle yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
just too much for those young minds to take. So what was your sort of favourite thing revisiting in that Channel 5 extravaganza of films? Um, so I think I, I think it was Blues Brothers, which I think turned 40 this year. Or in, in, in at least the last 12 months, it's turned 40. How well that's, that stands up as it was just kind of a... An extension of a of a sketch from the Saturday Night Live, and um, all the kind of musical stars that they had in it, and kind of like Aretha Franklin, the band itself, kind of Ray Charles and and the rest of it, and you just think, you know, um, James Brown and the stuff, and you just think, you know, that's a pretty impressive lineup of and the destruction as well that goes on in that movie. You just think, and it's all physical. It's like none of it's. CGI or whatever it is, and I think I think it's still for a long time held the record for the largest number of car wrecks in a movie at some point. Yeah, but that was and the music as well. You just think this is this is still pretty. This is good stuff. But again, that takes me back to that kind of time when I was a, a teenager, where we were revisiting the fifties and the sixties in terms of music and listening to kind of Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and all of that kind of stuff. So that was kind of cool. And there was a bit of that in kind of Stand by Me as well. That kind of retro music stuff. It's that twenty-year nostalgia cycle kind of thing. Uh, well, I was saying with um, My Chemical Romance, so like ten, fifteen years ago when I was emo and it was all the rage, and then they finally reformed at the start of this year, and then COVID happened. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember. I remember seeing all the fuss around My Chemical Romance earlier this year. That was this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's the scary thing. The only downside of that for me was that I, I wasn't 100% sure whether this was the reason why Gerard Way wasn't going to continue doing the Doom Patrol book at DC that finished, I think, last week last week or the week before. And it's like, no, I want more of this. You've been doing all right with this, Gerard. It's, this, is, this is quite good. The, you know, the music stuff, that's okay. That's all right. Just write an angry email to him basically saying, like, I insist that you work on that comic while on tour. <laughs> you have to be on stage, right? In that... <laughs> I think they announced um, the Fabulous Killjoys or something as well they're working on. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, same sort of thing. Like, I just, on the bright side, maybe he will just focus more on the comic writing because that is actually, I was really, really impressed by what he did. And you can also start to see the whole, you can see where it comes from with the music and Welcome to the Bat Parade and that kind of thing and how that fed into like Umbrella Academy and you know that yeah. kind of thing so it's quite interesting well I, I was quite surprised by Umbrella, Umbrella Academy when it first came out because I was expecting it to be a bit of a vanity project and kind of like a musician cashing in on the celebrity status that they've got but that was a really good that was a really good book and continued to be a really good book for, for a while and then when he kind of came up with the young animal stuff for DC a lot of that stuff was really good Really, really good. I really enjoyed it because it, it was that weird element that I kind of like in my comics. That slightly absurd, surrealist kind of approach to stuff, which was really entertaining. And I kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Lee? What have you been up to? What have I been up to? I have... Um, so with Ryan going on about like PC building recently, I decided to start having a look at that myself, finally. Because I actually looked at my bank account and was like, do you know what? I've actually got enough money now because i've been spending nothing for the past four months i've managed to get together enough money but even then like like ryan makes it sound so simple and then you go on to part picker and you see all this stuff and you're just like i don't know what any of this is and i put something together and eventually just went this looks good but i don't know if it is so i just was like ryan 
Tell me if this is good. <laughs> as long as we... It's exactly that. Yeah. As long as we get in, uh, Instagram photos of you building it whilst in a vest. <laughs> that'd be okay. And I'm thinking it should be a more typically British vest than the kind of like sporty Speedo one that Henry Cavill uh, wore. I think it should be a string vest. Um, yeah, that, that'd be pretty cool. Um, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go quite as viral as Henry Cavill building a PC, unfortunately. He has he has a few advantages that I don't <laughs> like pre existing fame and <laughs> being a lot more attractive. Unless, but you could go more viral if you spent a few weeks training a team of ferrets to assist you in building your PC, <laughs> because obviously the smaller the kind of smaller hands f- hands ferrets you could see this I know what I'm talking about would be good for all the little components and everything. I'm just imagining one of them just running around in a case. That's probably all that will end up happening. But that would still go viral because it's cute animals. And if anything's guaranteed to go viral, it's going to be cute animals. You know, then you can start building PCs and having ferrets build PCs for you. It could be like a whole new market for you. Be like the Willy Wonka of PC building. You've got a team of ferrets <laughs> assessing your transistors. I mean, I've already started building a traumatizing tunnel, so I'm halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had the parts delivered yet or are you just still in the process of ordering them not yet um i'm about to get get them ordered and stuff but that's gonna that's gonna be fun when i build try and build that because i've never built a pc properly so i imagine that you're that's... gonna have one of them three screen setup things two screens not three but it three is screens um uh, because obviously with editing and stuff i think having two screens would be useful especially because the amount of times where i've put together a video and there's been captions in it and i've the videos come out and i've looked at it full screen and i'm like oh no those captions are huge oh no what have i done <laughs> because it's a tiny little thing on my screen when i edit it and then i have to like then when i export it and watch it full screen it's like oh yeah so that's because like the the top 100 of the 2010s series that i did at the end of last year I feel like all of the captions that said what the game was were bigger than I expected them to be when the video got exported. So having that, having all that on one screen and having the rest of it on, on another screen is going to be much better, I think. Because <laughs> right now I just have to like extend out that bit for a brief moment and then extend it back so I can actually see the timeline again on my tiny laptop screen. <laughs> But I guess the real question is, how many LEDs does this... Absolutely, absolutely none. <laughs> I insisted on having none. I think there is, like, a glass panel in, like, the side of the case. And I'm like, well, I know which side is going up against the side of my desk. <laughs> so you don't see the inside under any circumstances. It's like when I looked at keyboards and stuff, I was like, okay, there's all these RGB keyboards. Tons of them. They're all really expensive. Here's a really cheap one for a tenner that is just a sort of basic out-of-the-box keyboard. I'm having that one. It's just it's black, it's boring, and it does the job. <laughs> Has no no lights in it whatsoever. <laughs> Was insistent. Just, I, every time I see those, like just I find it distracting. Like, if everything was just LEDs in my face while I was trying to work on stuff, I'd just be like, why is... Stop it. <laughs> Stop flashing in my face. It's going to be interesting, though, once once I get that together, just because there was one thing with this, obviously, is cause there's a lot of games I've got that just don't run on my laptop at the moment. And one of the reviews I read for the CPU, 
explicitly said that they ran Civ 6. And I'm like, well, that answers one of my questions. Because right now my laptop doesn't run Civ 6. And if this does it, then that's the CPU I'm having. That was my decision-making process on this. <laughs> and when you have Civ 6, we can play together and I can swamp you with Rock Band. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Aside from that, though, it's just kind of playing through more of uh, The Last of Us 2 which is still ongoing at the moment, and reached a very interesting take on it, which I'm not going to go too far into, because there will be a video on this, but I realised at one point in the game, this is basically like, the game just becomes Shadow of the Colossus. And I was like, hang on. (laughs) Of all the things I was expecting to think of while playing this, I was not expecting Shadow of the Colossus. Just structurally, that's what it ended up reminding me of at one point. <laughs> See, I'm relying on your playthroughs for this because I'm not, I'm not, I'm unlikely to play this particular version because I'm going to probably have skipped the entire PlayStation Four mm. generation. So yeah, so it'd be interesting to see because yeah. I, I did I did really enjoy the first game quite a lot. That was that was pretty yeah. good, although it was you know at times utterly frustrating as heck. It was it was an enjoyable game to play through. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely moments of that in this this one as well. There was definitely one point where you are forced into combat and I was just like, I don't want to fight this. This isn't how I play this game. I actively use stealth because I don't like the combat that much. The stealth is really satisfying, but when you're actually in a firefight, it's just like, I hate this. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, it, it's sort of, it is picking up in quality and I've definitely reached some of the more controversial bits now and I'm thinking it's fine. Like, I can see what they're doing. I don't know why all the tantrums were happening. So, <laughs> I think it came down to that that sense of it's not the story people wanted, rather than embracing the story it is. It's like the, you you weren't going to get the version of the story that you had in your head. So just just go with the one that the the, the storytellers are telling you. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, that's that's equal. That's the thing, because I came into this with basically no real expectations of what I wanted. I was just like, I want to see how they follow on from that ending. And I'm just curious as to how they're going to do that. And that's all I came into this with. So it was like, well, let's see how it goes. I mean, I, I guess at the end of the first game, I didn't really envision there being a second. In in It was like... Okay, that's that's that story. That's I'm happy with that as a, as a as a, as the story that you've told. I wasn't kind of I wasn't didn't walk away from it going, God, I really want to know what happens next. Um, yeah, I felt so, exactly yeah. the same. I walked away from it thinking like that ending was just that was perfect. That's yeah. that's the perfect way to end that specific story. And I don't really when they announced the sequel, I was kind of like, so where do they go from here? Which is why I've just approached it with that kind of curiosity just let's see what they do because i don't know how they'd follow that so i've ordered it so i'm waiting for it to arrive but the only thing i would ask is have they done a good job of making the first one still enjoyable so like you know when you're watching a film or playing a second game or whatever and you're going this is actually ruining the first one by retconning things or or that kind of thing. Do you think it's in terms of story and how it relates to the original, is it good? Is it strong? Or is it more of its entirely own? I think I think it's it's quite strong. I think initially 
I wasn't latching onto the story as much just because it was kind of lacking that sort of journey aspect that the first game had because I think that's what made the first game story work so well is that it was that journey across the country that kind of gave it that agency um, which this one's kind of missing a little bit but I think the point it's gotten to and I've really kind of clicked in with what they're going for it holds up and nothing that has happened in the second one has ruined anything that happened in the first there's been definitely points that have kind of directly referenced stuff from the first game but none of it's made me go, oh, that doesn't seem right in relation to... In fact, there was one particular point. I'm not going to, again, not going to go into it too much, but, like, I actually sort of watched this scene and was like, that's a conclusion I reached in my video of the first game, and they've kind of we wo- woven it into the story here, so I'm quite satisfied with this because it it's exactly what I interpreted from the first game, and they, they've put it... They've kind of made it explicit in the second so i'm quite happy with that so i think they've followed i think they've kind of made this story with all of the first game in mind to try and make sure that it's kind of a worthy sequel in a way because i've definitely not noticed any problems like that so yeah awesome yeah i'm looking forward to playing it i've heard some very good things i mean i'm recording it as i go just because i know of how much the internet has been divided on this i was like I definitely have to make a video on this once I've played through it. This definitely needs to be a losing the plot episode because then I can dissect that story so I've just been recording it the whole time. It's time once again for the Geeky Brummy Pool list. In the list this week is Billionaire Island issue 3 from Ahoy Comics. This is written by Mark Russell with art by Steve Pugh. Mark Russell continues to be one of my favourite comic creators and not just for the writing he does. Billionaire Island with artist Steve Pugh might have sounded ridiculous just five months ago but now it sounds far too plausible. At this time I've only read issue 1 and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I look forward to getting caught up once I pick up my standing order. Next on the pool list, New Mutants issue 11 from Marvel Comics. Written by Ed Bryson, with art by Flavio Armentaro. Marvel have been doing something very right with the Merry Mutants since Jonathan Hickman took over. Instead of having to read all the interconnecting titles, you can quite happily read the one that features your favourite teams and story styles. For me, outside of the main X-Men title, New Mutants is my go-to X-Book. Sorry, Excalibur. Just because it stars some of my favourite X-Men and is willing to have some fun with its stories. The more cosmic side of things is lighter and funnier, but the shift to the Earth-based stories reminds us of the struggles mutants still have to face. It's a great little book, and you should definitely try it. Coming up on the pool list, John Constantine Hellblazer number 8 from DC's Black Label. This is written by Simon Spurrier with art by Aaron Campbell. This is a fabulous relaunch for John Constantine, bringing him much closer to the Hellblazer I remember from the early Vertigo days. We also have Cable number 2 from Marvel, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. This is an interesting title. Cable is a return to his younger visage, but we're also having hints of the Space Knights in this title which has me very very intrigued and finally we have the upcoming x-men number 10 from marvel written by jonathan hickman with artist by lenial francis Yu. this issue ties into the ongoing empire storyline and i hope it is a good one in meanwhile this week boom studios is releasing a comic book written by keanu reeves with matt kent called 
B-R-Z-R-K-R, which I believe would be pronounced Berserker, which will be illustrated by Alessandro Vitti and Bill Crabtree. This is a first for Reeves and looks to be a project worth watching. The preview artwork shows Reeves is clearly the inspiration for the look of the main character. Boom plans to reveal more over the coming months and with Bill and Ted 3 and Cyberpunk 2077 due for release this year, the Keanu Reeves hype machine shows no sign of slowing down. This 12-issue comic book series is due to hit stores in October 2020. Having recently appeared in the final chapter of The Vigilant in the pages of the Judge Dredd magazine, the homicidal computer Max is set to return in a new collection of The 13th Floor, featuring never-before-seen reprinted strips. 13th Floor was one of the best strips from the short-lived British horror weekly Scream. Created by John Wagner and Alan Grant, with suitably eerie artwork from Jose Orsitz. Whilst the 13th floor first appeared in Scream, this new collection features stories ripped from the pages of The Eagle after the two titles merged in 1985. Also included are tales from the Scream 1982 holiday special and the Eagle holiday special from 1986. The 13th floor volume 2 will be released in October 2020. Volume 1 featuring the early Scream stories is available now. Finishing off this triple of titles dropping in October 2020, The Walking Dead is to be re-released, but this time in full colour. First appearing 17 years ago, the Image Comics title, written by Robert Kirkman and illustrated by Terry Moore, went on to take the world by storm. More left after six issues, and British artist Charlie Adlard took over, remaining the artist until the series ended last year. New editions of the comic are coloured by Dave McCaig, and the initial issues by Moore look incredible. It'll be interesting to see how they handle Adlard's art in later issues, as his style feels so perfect already in its black and white form. McCaig will have his work cut out, making this look any better. Each issue will include Kirkman's original handwritten plots, along with commentary on abandoned story elements and things that changed as the story progressed. And that's it for the pool list this week. Now back to the main show. I cannot believe I'm about to say these words. Please welcome the cast of the Goonies. Josh, Steve, Martha, Carrie, Corey, Sean, Jeff. Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Director Ron Howard, producer Brian Grazer, and the godlike figure himself, Tom Hanks. Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Dominic Moynihan, Billy Boyd, Orlando Bloom, and Sir Ian McKellen, Ivan Reitman, Jason Reitman, Annie Potts, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, and Bill Murray. Matthew Broderick, welcome. To so over the last uh, few months during the COVID-19 crisis, um, I've noticed a lot of cast reunions uh, springing up across the internet. The major one that, f- that first brought it to light was the Josh Gad Reunited Apart series that he started, um, starting off with The Goonies, which for people of a certain age has a lot of nostalgia value. And then he went on to do a, a series of, of other reunions but also over the course of the kind of last few months we've had reunions from people like Frasier, Fresh Prince, Community uh, and the one the one that had happened that I didn't get to see I saw trailers for it but I think it was done specifically for the network was the Parks and Rec which they did in character as an actual kind of episode which I haven't seen yet because I think that's still only been available in in America but I wondered what you t- you guys thought of the kind of the, the format and whether it actually has you know Obviously, I'm a, I'm a bit older than than you, so kind of the idea of Back to the Future 
Ferris Bueller and the Goonies are particularly of interest for me because you know I have a lot of affection for those films um but have there been ones that that you've kind of liked seeing or kind of seen the seen the reunions and then revisited the the material that they're, they're, to, they're talking about for me my favorite is scott pilgrim versus the water crisis so the reunion of scott pilgrim 10 years on from from when it was originally out and yeah i i like it i think it depends how you do it so what I loved about that cast reunion is they effectively did a reading of the film again. And it was really nice to see all of them because they were they were really enjoying it. They were really getting into it. You could see a lot of like chemistry and banter. And even seeing people like oh, Captain America. Chris Evans. Chris <laughs> Evans. That's it. Obviously, 10 years ago, that was before... He debuted as Captain America, and then now you see him now, and he's like the big name, probably alongside like Michael Cera and uh, Edgar Wright, and he's got like the bit part, and it's just really interesting to see how everyone has changed, but also how they can get back into their characters really, really quickly. Did you think that format worked better? The 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 the, the actual rereading of the story, rather than it just being kind of like reminiscing about it because i really want to watch that because i'm a big fan of the comic i'm a big fan of the film and i kind of want to see that and i've seen the pictures where brandon R- ruth has dressed up as one of the vegan police yes he, he cracked a, a, a bass guitar and everything as well which was great yeah <laughs> yes and i didn't think i would because you're there being like, i've already seen it um but actually they added um a lot of the, the music segments and that kind of thing over the top and the characters had to like kind of recreate it and seeing them obviously at home trying to improvise was brilliant and i think what was really cool was brian leo malley so the original creator was there as well doing sketches as it went along and he would do sketches based on the sort of reactions of some of the actors and that kind of thing as well, which they would then sell to raise money for WaterAid. And I just thought it was a really, it was a really inventive way of doing a reading, you know, to a film that is a cult classic. So people watch over and over again. I mean, like I said in the first episode that I was in this, it's like one of my favourite films. And it, I, it was like watching it again for the first time. And you could also, you could imagine all the scenes even though they're reading like basic stage directions, you can imagine it all. You can imagine all the settings. So yeah, absolutely. It's quite good that it's been used as a fundraiser as well to kind of raise awareness for something. Because obviously, as a cult film, it's kind of it's going to bring a, a fairly big audience. I think it's not actually had that many views on YouTube. It's just uh, just had over just over a quarter of a million as of recording this, which I would have thought would have been a lot higher. But I, I don't know whether it's been seen on other platforms. So I think. Because it was through, was it Entertainment Weekly? Because um, I thought they, because they, they, yes. they've done a few before that. I think they've had, is it the cast of Chuck? The um, TV show was quite early on one, I think they did for that, for, for Chuck. So Entertainment Weekly have done, have done a couple now. So I think it's pretty good that they've um, continued to do that. And I think the other one that I saw that was quite entertaining was the X-Men one, which I think was a, glo- a global aid but it wasn't a full thing. It was basically just a comedy sketch. Uh, Ryan Reynolds and the cast of the new X-Men gate crashed it. So that was quite funny. I quite I quite enjoyed that one because it was quite short. But I would have liked to have seen a, a bigger version of those characters coming together, those actors discussing their kind of history through those films because it's quite a controversial history for the X-Men movie franchise. It's not, not quite as well-loved now 
as it once was, perhaps. Uh, people fell fell out of love with it. Yeah, I think I think we said earlier. So I watched the Scott Pilgrim reunion on Entertainment Weekly, and it was their own video hosting. So that might be one of the reasons that it's sort of less on views. But yeah, I think what I was wanting a bit more of is a bit more of the whole kind of reminiscing and a few more sort of like behind the scenes facts and, and nuggets of information, as well as the the just plain reading but yeah overall i thought it was really interesting yeah like i definitely i definitely agree with with that about the um you know wanting more sort of behind the scenes stuff because as fun as it was seeing like aubrey plaza just jump right back into being her character she just went all out and i was great but it would also just would have been good to see something sort of unique to the reunion i think yeah because i think one of the things that i was kind of curious about was the fact that Brian, Lee O'Malley and Edgar were there together and the idea of talking about the fact that the the end of the book and the film were kind of concurrent. I don't think at the time the the sixth volume of the of the graphic novel had actually been published. Yeah, I think they were still I think Brian Lee O'Malley was still writing the last book, but it was kind of they were working together sort of thing, so that, that was that, again. It's like those trivia tracks. I do like those, and particularly for a filmmaker like Edgar Wright, it's like I want to know all of the references and all of the inside bits that you've you've got on those. And like the early kind yeah. of the DVDs for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz had a lot of that. Space did as well. That one is a bit more contemporary, which is quite interesting. So all of those kind of actors are still kind of aren't too dissimilar to how you remember them in the film. And the some of the some of the ones on the Josh Gad one, I was like, "Gosh, these people are." It reminded me of my own mortality a lot more. <laughs> of like, you know, in your in your head, you're still twelve or whatever it is. But the idea of seeing how those ca- characters have aged or how those actors have aged, and again, kind of like when I was watching the Back to the Future one, I, all I could think about was like, how much longer are, are we going to have Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox, and you know. Mm-hmm. And and I can imagine that, that that was that was edited a little bit more than than some of the others. But it, I mean, it was good to see Michael J. Fox on screen again. Obviously, because of his Ill, illness over the last few years and stuff, he's been less involved in films and TV. But it just reminds you of how strong these characters, how how indelible they are in your memory. And you kind of, you know, I look at that and I just think there's no way anybody else could be Doc Brown and marty mcfly and i think i fell down a bit of a back to the future hole after watching that one and kind of some of the kind of like eric stoltz <laughs> background stuff and it's like it just wouldn't have been the same movie with that which is quite quite weird and the lord of the rings one as well i kind of like you think God, that's 20 years ago and it's yeah. just uh, incredible yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you're absolutely right i think with um first Bueller as well when they interspersed kind of the chatting with clips and you see like Matthew Broderick <laughs> then and now and you're like Jesus <laughs> but you can also still see they're the yeah. same people you know especially people like you know, Matthew Broderick who's just he's evolved into a sort of mischievous old man as opposed to like a mischievous young man he's not really changed that much he's not giving in to anything he's still still him but yeah it was a proper like oh wow mortality <laughs> i could have seen those josh gad ones though actually being a show in a, in a similar fashion to the toys that made us 
uh, and the films that made us were that were on um, Netflix, which are, which are really good behind the scenes. I think this is a format that could do well as a, as a TV show, reuniting those casts. Because I think, you know, seeing some of the ones for the TV shows, the uh, uh, Frasier one was quite interesting, particularly when you've got the idea that that show's going to return at some point in some form that they're looking to bring Frasier back. But again, I, I what I would hope on some of these is it's actually sent people away to watch the originals. Because even though I think oh, these are classics and these are things that everybody has seen, I'm kind of wondering how many people actually have watched Goonies or Splash or, you know, Ferris Bueller, even though to me Ferris Bueller is a film that I would assume everybody in the world has watched at least 20 times. Out of those three films that you just mentioned, Keith, I've seen one of them. You're going to tell me it's Splash? It's Ferris Bueller. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think my my, uh, my 16-year-old daughter has recently watched Ferris Bueller and um, enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. Which which was which was I, I was quite pleased about, but I hope that's that's something that that that's come out of this is people have gone back and gone. I've heard of these films and I didn't really know what they were, and they and you know they've gone and revisited them and and got them. I mean, has it has it caused any of you to go back and go? I'm gonna, I'm going to go and rewatch that. Um, I mean, the only ones that I've seen is like about half of the Scott Pilgrim one and clips of the Lord of the Rings one. And since Scott Pilgrim is just, like, burned into my brain, I don't need to go back and watch it. Because <laughs> I just... Pretty much every time that bits would... They'd get to certain points, I was... Realised I was reciting the lines right back at the at the screen. Because it's just one of my favourite films. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel the need to go and watch Lord of the Rings again. <laughs> I mean, if there, was, if there was one film or TV show that you would like to have seen kind of a reunion for that perhaps hasn't been, been done already, what... Which which would it be? What would it be? For me, I would probably say spaced because um, I know they've they've got together in various forms, like parts of the crew. But I think yeah. spaced was quite interesting in terms of obviously it launched Edgar Wright, Sean Pegg, and that kind of style. But also, I think a lot of, they've all gone off and done their own things now. It'll be just be interesting to see how they've all changed or not changed and a spaced that they, they were talking about like spaced uh, season three and that kind of thing for quite a while especially in like the mid noughties and um basically uh, sean Pegg and jessica hines were just like no the story's been told we don't want to sort of bring it back and ruin what we had so it would be nice to see some sort of continuation or just something I think something like what's been going on, where it's just the cast get together and largely have a chat, is all I'd be happy with. Because I don't really feel the need for them to like do a season three or do a special or anything like that. But just something like where they just get together again would be really cool. I think they did for the twentieth anniversary. They did a BFI kind of um, chat where they sat, and it wasn't it wasn't a massive event i think they spoke for about 20 minutes and i think that's as close as we've come so far but that that one would be quite an interesting one particularly seeing as nick and simon have got a new show coming up on amazon prime called i think it's called truth seekers so they're back together yes. again yeah, yeah. so that'd be quite interesting i'd kind of like to see personally i'd like to see some of the kind of animated shows do one yeah. because obviously a lot of the time people don't see the voices behind those kind of things so kind of like things like the batman animated series or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would be quite an interesting 
want to do or even some of the kind of more modern um, cartoon series I'd like to kind of see maybe you know some of the guys who did um, Adventure Time and stuff like that I mean that's probably not far back enough to to do it but it would be quite an interesting thing to see I think I'd be quite interested in that but that's just because I'm kind of a voice actor nerd anyway. Um, it's it's kind of that's it's a, a big part of what got me into D and D was watching Critical Role, and that was because I knew who who the, who the actors were, even though they're all voice actors. And it's funny you mention that because there actually is one of these sort of cast reunions that's happened with voice actors, but it was Uncharted Three. Well, the Uncharted series, I think it is actually. Like um, Nolan North on his YouTube channel just got most of the cast. And Amy Hennig, the director, and they did like just this hour and a half just chat of them sort of reminiscing over the the games they all worked on, and it was, that was just genuinely really cool. Especially because like the amount of times you could see how much of the actors went into the characters themselves, because you had like the actress who plays Elena was being sort of very professional and very serious and very sort of very intelligent and then you've got the the actress who played chloe who was just a disaster zone <laughs> and it was it was hilarious so i think yeah i definitely agree with i'd like to see more sort of those voice actor get-togethers i think because you know you don't see enough of it really yeah there's there's a few really famous ones that you kind of get to see the the likes of um john dimaggio and like you said nolan north and stuff because they do the they end up doing the con circuits yeah. but there's a lot of other people out there that mm-hmm. you just go particularly when they're not big names or celebrities yeah. already that are coming into voice stuff. Yeah. So it would be, would be good, especially if they just did it as, as all of the characters they've ever voiced, because that would be quite funny. They just, just slip into stuff. I think the closest I've ever seen to stuff like that, I think at like some, some Comic-Cons, you'll see collections of voice actors come together and they'll read a script, but they'll read it in different voices. Like so, like they'll get requests from the audience of like voice this character with this character's this other character's voice sort of thing. So you'll have John DiMaggio and like reading Lord of the re- reading like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings as Bender kind of thing. So it's it's that's I've seen stuff like that happening, but it'd be good to see like actual full casts getting together and do stuff like that as well. That that kind of idea of of merging the re- the table read idea, but mm. with not the actors that read it in the first place would be would be brilliant. Yeah. You know, that would be quite that would be some kind of very serious film, but read by the people who did the voices for the turtles or something. That would be just amazing. Yeah, yeah and I think um, it's quite interesting you said that because uh, the Scott Pilgrim read through did have elements of that because of some of the actors couldn't turn up, so you had others cover and they would try to mimic and sometimes it was even even better um how they got it down um so the actor i think the funniest example of that was probably um anna kendrick playing envy because obviously she played scott's sister but the fact that she's also playing his ex as well (laughs) and um uh satya baba who was uh, matthew patel and he did various voices throughout and actually the actual film, I didn't give him much stock, but then seeing him in this reading, you're like, oh my God, you're brilliant, you know. Just to kind of round it up is, do you think it's something that is very specific to the time that we're seeing these things because of the use of Zoom and there's no logistics behind bringing all of the actors together? Do you think when we're out of 
kind of the the lockdown social isolation environment that we'll see the like again that this is kind of like a bit of a flash in the pan because it's a way of people connecting and we're unlikely to see these big cast reunions Um, when it's more kind of a a normal situation i think it's it's an interesting one just because you know like you said a lot of this has come together because you know we've got you know the fact that it's so easy to get everyone together through zoom but also because you've had all the actors who probably would have been working on projects that have all been postponed because of everything that's going on so they've got that extra free time but i also feel that there might be a desire to try and keep this sort of stuff going because you can definitely see a lot of the the actors having a great time doing it i think just off the back of that i think there's going to be like a desire to do it but whether or not it'll happen is a different matter yeah, I would agree, because I think um, what this situation has kind of forced everyone to do, whether that's sort of like work or media or whatever, is embrace technology where they wouldn't really risk it before. So something like a Zoom reunion, they probably wouldn't have considered that at all because they would come for a more studio thing. Maybe they can sell tickets to it and that kind of thing. But actually, they haven't been able to do that. So they've been forced to embrace this format so i guess what i'm saying i I would agree with you i think it would be nice and i think they will try and carry it on but i don't know how far in the future that would go Mm. on for well yeah i kind of think you you're both right on that and they have been incredibly enjoyable to watch and you know in a lot of instances incredibly nostalgic but i I would it, it connects you with those actors and those characters in a way that reinforces your love for the media in the first place and uh, and it it makes you feel good to see that the the actors and the characters that you hold in such great esteem are still actually funny and witty and entertaining and have and still have some fun doing that stuff so i'd like to see some more in the future and i think if if josh gad could spin it out into perhaps a a network tv show that has a few specials every year hopefully we'll see more in the future part of the show where I talk about my games of the week for the past two weeks. Last week, I gave the spotlight to two major releases, Ghost of Tsushima for the PS4 and Paper Mario the Origami King for the Switch. Ghost of Tsushima is the latest game from Sucker Punch Productions, developers of the infamous and Sly Cooper franchises. It places the player into the shoes of Jin Sakai, a samurai facing off against the Mongol invasion into Japan. Battle using samurai tactics or become the dishonourable ghost through stealth tactics. It's generally being considered the feudal Japan Assassin's Creed that so many have been after for so long, and it looks stunning. Paper Mario the Origami King is the latest in Nintendo's Mario RPG Lite franchise. The Origami King sees the Mushroom Kingdom invaded by origami figures who appear to have creepily replaced Princess Peach. The Origami King promises more of the funny, charming, and engaging fun the series is known for, even if it isn't quite the full-blown JRPG that Thousand Year Door fans are eager to play. Plus, this one's got visuals that make me think of Tearaway, so that's a plus. Basically, if you have a PS4, Ghost of Tsushima was last week's Game of the Week. If you have a Switch, then it was Paper Mario. 
If you have both, you get both. It's nice how that works out. Game of the Week this week is Rookie, the debut game from Polygon Treehouse, a team founded by Tom Jones, not that one, and Alex Canaris Sotiro, both former art directors at Sony. It's a Scandinavian adventure game drawing from Norse myths and legends and features a gorgeous hand-drawn art style. In this interactive fairy tale, you play as a girl named Tove trying to save her family out in the Scandinavian wilderness. As she journeys, she encounters an assortment of creatures and a lot of tricky puzzles to solve. I've been enamoured with Rookie since I first heard it was in development, so I'm really happy to see it's finally out. It looks set to be an excellent traditional adventure game that I'm looking forward to getting my hands on. To recap, Ghost of Tsushima was developed by Sucker Punch Productions and published by Sony Interactive. Paper Mario the Origami King was developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. And Roki is developed by Polygon Treehouse and published by United Label Games. They are available on PS4, Switch, and PC, respectively. And on that note, let's get back to the main show. So, what have we all been enjoying that we'd like to maybe share with the rest of the class? <laughs> uh, Keith, let's start with you. What's, what have you been watching, reading, whatever? I'm going to start with a, a TV show. Um, that kind of I think Ryan turned me on to, which had been been on my radar for a long time, but I'd never got round to actually watching it. But because of a couple of other TV shows that I'd been watching had come to an end, uh, I thought I'll give it a try, um, not not knowing quite what I was getting into. Um, but I've been watching The Expanse. which I think originally aired on the Sci-Fi channel and then kind of um, got bought up by Amazon. And after a couple of, you know, uh, episodes that took a, took a little while for everything to click together, um, I've been really enjoying it. It's, it's reminding me a lot of Battlestar Galactica in terms of the drama that it's doing. Because I was kind of thinking, oh, it's not going to have enough spacey stuff. It's not going to be sci-fi enough. It's just going to be kind of like a drama set in space. But as time's gone on, it's been really good. I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jane's haircut in it it's like i'm i'm kind of i'm just into season two at the moment and i'm kind of slightly worried he's not going to be in it for much longer because i'm thinking that you've got a kind of a, a really good actor and i liked a lot of the work that he's done in the past uh, and the character that he plays is is really kind of like it rubs against the kind of like the 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 other characters in the in the story um but he's got a great look he's his, his costumer is is a genius. It's a great look, uh, and he also has a, a, a fantastic haircut, um, which I'm quite jealous of. Obviously, as he's a slightly maturer gentleman, I'm looking for you know style tips for time going on. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I kind of thought because it was based on some sci-fi novels, it would be a little drier than it actually is. But it's it's actually come, it's actually coming together quite well, and I'm enjoying that a lot. I'm tending to to get do, you know maybe two two episodes in a sitting. I'm not binging it by any way, uh, shape or form, but uh, I'm quite enjoying that a lot uh, as a TV show, which is really good. Yeah, I've not sort of really looked into The Expanse. I've just kind of, I've heard about it a lot, but just not, I don't really know what it's actually about as such. Yeah, I think it's best not to know. I think the part of the what, what I didn't go into it to, to begin with was because it had started off on sci-fi and I'd kind of not really got on with things like Killjoy's which is a little bit too fluffy, a little bit too light for me. I do kind of like a, a sci-fi show with a little bit of um, bite, which surprisingly one of my favourite ones is, is a show called Farscape, which was done by the Jim Henson Love company, Farscape. which you'd think, because it features a lot of Muppets, would be fluff. 
one of the greatest space dramas ever told and one of the greatest love stories ever told in that that show there's a, there's there's something about farscape that i absolutely adore and the expanse is nowhere near that level but it's gripping enough and i'm intrigued enough and there's you know there's enough characters with with very clear distinctive traits who i'm kind of i'm invested in their ability to survive in a hostile environment um so yeah i'm really i'm really digging it i didn't think i would and i'm I'm pleasantly surprised by it what about you matt anything one thing kind of split into two platforms so um i recently had a whim to watch the mask the 1994 film starring jim carrey and it was one of my favorite films growing up and i watched it again and i still love it for its its adult setting but obviously very cartoony and then what happened as i was watching the mask i then got into a black hole on wikipedia started reading about it and then i got onto the original the mask comics by dark horse comics and um i downloaded it on kindle downloaded the first series which is similar to what you were saying keith earlier it was a five five issue release and i really loved it so the the mask comic differs from the film quite considerably but what i enjoyed about it was it was a very serious very serious gritty sort of story but when so it followed multiple protagonists who put on the mask and it basically turns them into this clowny cartoonish guy with a big head and they had like mur- murderous tendencies that kind of thing and what i enjoyed was how the the mask character whoever it was would be quite cartoony and they would do cartoony violence which is portrayed and drawn quite cartoony but then actually the victims are decimated so it's quite it's quite gory quite gruesome but it's that juxtaposition between the cartoony elements and references versus the sort of like gritty realistic kind of violence within it but as yeah it's a very short sort of like five installment comic and it's about four pound on amazon kindle really really good really really interesting and it's also interesting to see how they transitioned that into the film because the film is actually quite quite faithful in some respects in terms of some of the scenes they recreate and that kind of thing but how jim carrey has put a spit on that character and it's the two are just quite interesting to see together so that'd be my my recommendation watch the mask the film if you haven't seen it and then look at the comic books i do need to watch that film again it's been years <laughs> i think i've watched it since it since i was a kid i think it was interesting because um uh, the, the the director actually said uh, we saved a lot of money on <laughs> cgi and that kind of thing because jim carrey could just pull expressions with his face it just saved them loads and loads of money in 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 like the actual production costs and then you watch it and you go you're absolutely right like that is just like peak jim carrey yeah he's his stanley ipkiss is pretty pretty awesome in terms of that he he does a brilliant job of of, of bringing that character to life for for a for a mainstream film audience as well i think because it's it's the fat film was released in a period where we'd kind of come out of things like Batman and Dick Tracy, which had kind of established a mould for how comic book adaptations would work. Because like, like, like you were saying, that the Dark Horse book is actually a little bit more dark in terms of what's going on. The kind of the, the idea that the mask, I mean, it's, it's kind of in the name, the mask kind of hides the, the, you know, the, the brutality and the, and the violence that's going on. Yeah, and I think, um, so the character of Stanley Ipkiss um, in the comics, he's only in it very briefly at the 
at the start, but his character compared to the one on screen is wildly different, and he has sort of a few petty sort of gripes with people, puts on the mask, and then goes over the top in killing them in really creative, cartoony ways, but then obviously that's a complete contrast to the film, and it's just quite interesting to see how the kind of minor character who's then referenced throughout the rest of the series, but isn't really in it that lot, forms the basis for the film. And again, yeah, Jim Carrey's kind of uh, depiction of it. So Stanley Kiss is a very sort of relatable kind of any man. And then you've got the mask who's this extravagant other person. And a lot of it is just done through acting, which is just fantastic. We haven't really seen a lot of Jim Carrey doing that stuff, apart from the Sonic movie, um, <laughs> which, you know, not not that great. <laughs> okay. Time. P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta. One thing that um, sprung to mind immediately when thinking about possible recommendations. So as a bit of a, a sort of sneaky behind the scenes thing, I don't actually play that many of the game of the week things that I put forward. It's usually just the thing that's 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 looks the most interesting on the schedule, but I am making an effort to try and go back and try and play through stuff. And there's one game that I picked up in the summer sale, which is World of Horror, which is a really good horror game. And now that I've actually played it, I can completely recommend it wholeheartedly. Um been playing a lot of that. It's a really weird mixture of The Call of Cthulhu and the manga of Junji Ito. So it's sort of very much visually you can see the Junji Ito influence. It has a lot of the same sort of style as things like, I can't remember the names of his work, like Uzumaki and Tamai and all that sort of stuff. You can really see that sort of really messed up horror sort of style, but Gameplay-wise, it's very similar to something like Call of Cthulhu or the board games um, Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror. It's very similar mechanics where you're kind of balancing your health and your sanity, but also the encroaching doom. And if one of those things goes too far, that game is over. So basically everything's sort of stacked against you. It's such a really interesting experience because you're kind of trying to solve these different mysteries. And it's one of the few games I've liked where... where procedural generation is a big thing because I tend to really hate procedural generation in games just because the amount of games I've played which it's, yeah, the layout kind of changes and, and you see a lot of there's the random element of play but it just ends up getting repetitive it's just the order of which these specific rooms get put together changes but otherwise it's pretty much exactly the same this does it really well so as you're kind of investigating you'll go to different locations and it will pull a different encounter a random different encounter some of them are positive so like i think one of them while you're exploring the town is like you can run into a friend and that restores your sanity and that's a good thing um sometimes you'll have combat encounters where some like weird creature attacks you and then you'll have other encounters more often than not where something creepy and weird happens and it affects your health or your sanity or it increases the amount of doom or you'll get like a choice that happens and sometimes the choices are good sometimes the choices are really bad 
And as you play through the different mysteries, you can sort of unlock different perks and different items, and those allow you to make more choices. So, for instance, there's there's some things where you might find like a dark room, and you can't explore it unless you picked up a, a flashlight. So if you go to that without a flashlight, you'll have one choice, which is just kind of try and get through this room, not being able to see anything, but that affects your sanity. But if you have a flashlight, you get an item out of it instead. So it's just, it's a really interesting game to play through. And it's one of those things where you can kind of play through an entire thing in like half an hour. And it's meant, it's built for replayability. So you can try and get through with the different characters who've all got different abilities like there's one character who i have yet to get very far with because his quirk is that he's a smoker so if you don't constantly buy cigarettes he'll get like a nicotine withdrawal and it'll affect his combat ability and stuff like this so it's and he's one of the the most annoying to play with because you're just like oh no everything's gone gone bad because he's craving cigarettes <laughs> but it's it's such a really a really interesting experience that i just I just keep coming back to here and there, and I would definitely, definitely recommend people pick that up. The best part about it is that it was all made by a Polish dentist, and all the artwork was done in paint. It was just this one guy who isn't really even a, a game designer, just mostly drawing in paint. And it's like, how? <laughs> how did you do this? So we've um, come to the end of the another episode of the Geeky Bromie podcast. But where can we find? You guys online. Keith, where can we find you? My personal account is hardluck underscore hotel on Twitter and without the underscore on Instagram where you can find some of my very local black and white landmark photography, uh, which I'm running a series of at the moment. So uh, you'll be able to see the the highs of uh, Bearwood life as as I take the same 500 meter walk uh, every day, looking for new new places, new th- new things to photograph. And then pretty regularly on Wednesday, which is Comics Day, you can find me on the Geeky Brummy Twitter and also on the website with my regular pull list post. Excellent, uh, Matt. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter um, at Mr Matt Level, or you can find uh, me on Instagram at Matchstick underscore Matt where it's mostly drunk selfies and uh, you'll find me weekly contributing to the uh, gaming roundup on Geeky Brummy. Cool. Ryan is not here but uh, just to kind of make sure that he is promoted because he is very much our overlord you can find him on Twitter at Ryan Parrish and you can find him at Brummy Gourmand for all the food stuff and you can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret and you can find me on Patreon which supports that also at Bob the Pet Ferret, and also updates on that are on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret, but I also tweet generally as the Cheap Ferret, and I do the regular weekly gaming roundup with news and releases and assistance from Matt for esports. Uh, you can find all of us on geekybrummy.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, we also have a Kofi if you wish to assist us in any way. Other than that, just you know, like and subscribe to us on whatever service you're listening to this on. Uh, give us the uh, ratings so that we can feed the almighty algorithm. <laughs> any any stars will do. Exactly. It's all engagement, and that's what matters. <laughs> Say we're terrible. It's still engagement. <laughs> any PR is good PR. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, all. Bye, thanks for listening.